I think it's easy when we read our Bibles to conceive of them as Bible stories, almost as though there is a comic, ver- ver- comic book version that is as true as what actually happened. Some of that is because we are removed from the life of Jesus. We are removed from first century uh, Israel by time and space. But some of it is that we have come to live such a different life than Jesus lived. We have established priorities that Jesus did not have. And so it's hard for us sometimes even to recognize ourselves as His followers. You see, we live in suburbs that we hope, that we expect, will be preserved from the blight of homelessness or poverty or violence. We want to escape the pain and disappointment of the world. And if you're like me, it makes you want to run away. If I can only get away from people and from news, then I wouldn't have any problems. Or so I tell myself. Because if I'm honest, the avoidance of pain is high on my agenda. And when I look at Jesus, I don't see that on His. Proximity to people in pain is a priority for Jesus. And I don't see that on my agenda. And so I struggle as I watch Jesus uh, move through the world in a way that I somehow feel I should move through the world, yet am uncomfortable moving through the world. And so I want to invite you to to watch Jesus with me. To turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8 and and to witness Him in action. And so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. 
I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and he ro- she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. As we see Jesus here, we see him move through a suffering world as its suffering king. He walks through a broken world as a healing king with authority. Though it seems that he interacts with the world differently than I would interact with the world, to say the least. He wants us to know that in a suffering world, there is a king who himself has borne suffering. And he has the authority not only to forgive, but also to heal. Verse 1 Starts out very simply, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. If you're like me, you read that and you're like, whoosh, I didn't even notice that. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. It's one of those throwaway little sentences, right, that just somehow links one paragraph to another paragraph and you, you feel like, I could do without that. But that little sentence is doing quite a bit of work here that I I think it will be helpful for me to point out. Uh, If nothing else, that verse is transitioning from teaching to action. Jesus has just given us the Sermon on the Mount and uh, really the, the, the most historic sermon in the history of the world He's just been teaching, now he is going to be doing. This verse transitions us from the the preaching to the practice, from the words of Jesus to his actions. And that's significant for several reasons, but one of the reasons is that that is a major structure in the book of Matthew. So as you read Matthew, you may want to notice what is happening here. Is Jesus teaching or is he doing? 
And what you'll find is that there is this cycle of teaching, doing, teaching, doing, teaching, doing, all the way through the book. And that's really how Matthew structures his book, as though the, the actions explain and illustrate the teaching. And so this is really one of those early transitions. The other thing that this verse helps us with, I hope, is to, to kind of figure out what Matthew is doing as he's writing. I mean, I, I mentioned that there's this, this pattern in this structure. because I mentioned it because we have this idea that somehow Matthew is like Alexa or Siri. And just somebody accidentally like double tapped and there's this recording of what happened just and that's what we've got here. That's not what we've got here. What we got here is a what we have in our Bibles is a finely crafted story. What we have here is is Matthew writing a biography of Jesus to make a point. So that you and I recognize Jesus is a king. That Jesus is a unique kind of a king. A king with authority. Yet a king who suffers. He is the truth. He spoke the truth. And he does the truth. The coming down the mountain is significant for, for other reasons as well. Because one of, the, one of the subplots that Matthew has written into his biography is a comparison between Jesus and Moses. Um, as Moses was 40 years in the wilderness, Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness and tempted by Satan. And then just as Moses goes up the mountain to receive the defining revelation of the, uh, the first covenant... Namely, the law. Now we see Jesus went up the mountain to deliver the defining revelation of the new covenant. So, Moses came down from the mountain, you may remember. Yet God remained on the mountain. Now, when Jesus comes down the mountain, He comes down as God Himself. Because God now is descending the mountain to be among the people. To be with us. And again, I'm not making this up. Matthew introduces us to Jesus as God with us, Emmanuel. And now... Now, in this verse, with this transition, he is letting us know this is what it looks like when God is with us. And I can't get over it. Because Jesus is nothing if not with us, if not with people. When I say that Jesus is with people, I don't want you to think it's Jesus with people as one among a throng, like he's got seat number uh, 127G in some bleachers. 
or he's down in the sidewalk in New York City just bustling about. He's not with us in that way. He is with us in this eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart, walk alongside, spend time with, intimate interaction. And he's that way with one person after another. And so we see the first time after this sermon that Jesus is with us down from the mountain. Look at verse 2. It says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. Now, that and behold, so we think, well, that's the way the Bible talks, right? So we just kind of write that off like, and behold. It probably would help you if you read that like this. And surprise! A leper came to him. That's what you're supposed to do. Like, that's not supposed to happen. Surprise! A leper came before him. And Lord, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Here is this leper who says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He appeals to the will of Jesus. He doesn't ask a favor, which is very weird. He doesn't say, oh, please heal me. He just states, if you will, you can heal me. It really is that cut and dried. And even his appeal to the authority His appeal to the will of Jesus is an appeal to the authority of Jesus that everyone acknowledged when he was teaching. Now he's acknowledging it in action. If you will, you can heal me. Well, that's fine, but I think it will help you get the, the gist of this if you think about this from the leper's point of view. And what it meant to him to be a leper. The CDC and the World Health Organization and the OHA in Jesus' day wasn't what it is today. They didn't know much. They didn't really have the same sort of public health initiatives and germ theory that have made our lives so much better. But... They did know a communicable disease when they saw one. They called it leprosy. Leprosy was a broad designation for any number of skin ailments. They even called it leprosy if it was on your clothes. They called it leprosy if it was in your house. So it was just a broad description of a communicable disease that needed to be uh, cared for or taken care of. And so the person with leprosy, this, these are the regulations from, the, you might say, the CDC of Jesus' day, right? The person with leprosy had to go around with their hair all messed up and their clothes disheveled. And they had to cry, unclean, unclean, everywhere they went. But, get this, okay, this is the connection with the OHA and CDC. They had to isolate, or you might even say quarantine, 
And they had to wear a mask. You're thinking, I didn't read that when I read my Bible. Okay. In Leviticus 13, here's what lepers had to do. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And, here you go, he shall cover his upper lip. Okay? He shall wear a mask. And cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So just think about that. I mean, think how frustrated we are with masks. Think how frustrated we have been with isolation and with the disruption that the pandemic has caused in our schedules. What would the leper have thought about life? What would his reaction have been knowing the Old Testament law Knowing the regulations, what would have been his reaction when he was first diagnosed? What would he have thought about the rest of his life and his future? What would he have thought about who God was and why did God let that happen? It was that kind of a person then that we find approaching Jesus. And this leper who's who didn't have a life, who was completely outcast, appeals to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. And then you'll notice, right, some of the most beautiful words Jesus ever uttered, just as beautiful as any of the teaching he did up on the mountain. I will. I will will. See, it's so easy for us to think that Jesus won't. Isn't that something? I want to say, Jesus, if you will, expecting, yeah, he won't. That is not the way the leper approached him. I am confident that you have the authority to, and if you will, you can make me clean. And sure enough, Jesus did. I will, you are clean. And immediately he was. And then Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifice. Show yourself as a proof. Do you notice that? Show yourself as a proof. Now there was this process, for sure, uh, of being declared clean. You had to prove that you were clean, and that might be part of it. But probably it's more likely Jesus had in mind that this leper was now proof that Jesus was, in fact, this suffering king moving through a suffering world with authority. Let's prove that to them. Go show yourself as a proof that I am the one with the authority over the disease. So significant was leprosy that it took eight days to be declared clean. And you, can just, you can just read the regulations, can't you? Right? I mean, you just go to the website and you read it. Eight days, offer these sacrifices, get the blood on your ear and your thumb and your toe or whatever. Get some oil. <laughs> Shave all of your hair, including your eyebrows. And I'm, 
I'm just thinking, I mean, it's bad enough for the guy already has leprosy. Now saying, we're going to make you look more like a freak. I mean, that's so hard, right? It's not lost on me that I'm talking about this during a pandemic. That our lives have been disrupted um, because of a disease that for some has been life-threatening. But for most of us has been inconvenient and we have complained and we have groused and we have been frustrated. I've even heard people who have COVID refer to themselves as lepers. And it seems to me that if we really believed in Jesus like this leper did, that we might have a little different conversation with him than we do. That our prayers would be just a little bit different than saying something real quickly and getting off to complaining. That if we really truly believed he was here among us and had authority over disease, that we would appeal to him in a different way. And I've been trying to think, why don't we? Why do we get hung up with this um, the situation we're in and we can't really get past it? Well, one of the differences, I think, is that, and this is different than the leper, I think we see ourselves as deserving better things. We expect great health. We resent the disruption to our schedules. We think that we shouldn't be afflicted in this way somehow. In other words, we do not come to Jesus as poor in spirit. But rather we come to Jesus thinking we're rich in spirit. Like surely you owe me better than this. You should do better by me than this. That's more like the conversations that so many of us, myself included, have with Jesus. Yet here Jesus encounters a man poor in spirit and heals him. And may God help us to be poor in spirit like this leper so that ours might be the kingdom of heaven. And so with this leper, we see Jesus move through this suffering world as its suffering king with the authority to heal and make things right. And then right after that, Matthew introduces us to another uh, person with a malady, another problem you might say. Jesus went to Capernaum, this centurion came forward appealing him, Lord, my servant's lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. That's all. My servant is lying paralyzed, suffering terribly. He wants Jesus to know about the suffering. And the suffering is all that Jesus needs. 
I really want us to learn how to talk to Jesus when we're suffering. Because it's when we're suffering, really, that we can see Jesus for who He is most clearly. It's the suffering that keeps us poor in spirit and meek and mourning. And the centurion says, my servant's suffering. I want you to know. And that's all he says. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say, will you please come? My address is. He doesn't say, uh, will you call 911 for me? He just says, my servant's suffering. And Jesus says, I will come. Stunning to me. Without even being invited Jesus says, I will come. Even though going to this Gentile's house would have made Jesus unclean and posed all sorts of problems for him, he says, I will come. If Jesus wasn't among those who were hurting when he was talking to the leper, to just volunteer, I will come, is a completely different way to go through the world than I normally think about. And then notice what the captain says. He said, um, you don't need to. Because I think I know you. And I get authority. I understand what's going on with you coming down from this mountain with what you just said. I get that. And you don't even have to come and my servant can be healed. Because that's been my experience. I have servants, and I say come and go, and they come and go. They do this, they do it. I get that. You can command the disease and it'll be gone. You can do it from a distance. You can do it up close. It doesn't matter. You have what it takes, Jesus. And he gets it. And what does Jesus do then? Jesus marvels at his faith. Jesus, Jesus just, can I say this? Jesus can hardly believe that he believes. Jesus is surprised at this Gentile who gets it in a way that the Jews that he's around all the time don't get. The only other time, there's only one other time when Jesus marvels, and he marvels actually at the unbelief of Israel. What makes Jesus astonished is when people actually believe in Him. Wouldn't it be great if Christians could make Jesus marvel that they actually believe Him? How crazy would that be? That's what Faith is, you see. And this, this centurion got Jesus. He understood the authority of Jesus in a way that nobody else did. 
And I want to say that because Jesus said, I've not seen faith like this in anybody else. And so many of us are so worried. Like, I don't know if I have enough faith for this. I don't know if my faith is enough for this. And you know what? That could hardly matter less. What matters is who Jesus is. If you get him, what else are you going to do but believe him? That's the thing. You must have Jesus. And to have Jesus, then that's what faith is, is really just embracing who Jesus truly, honest to goodness, is. And not somehow shrinking him down to a manageable size. The centurion got that. And then Jesus, as I first read this, I just, this confounded me. Like, that's pretty good, right? The guy believes Jesus enough that Jesus marvels at it. And then Jesus says, Many will come from east and west and recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. I think, where did that come from? What are you even, why bring that up? Because Jesus wants us to know that the great and glorious promises made to Abraham that all of the nations would be blessed in him are true. Jesus wanted us to know that the Gentiles would be included as God intended for them to be included. Or better yet, that you will be included. Jesus wanted there to be no question that, like it says in Isaiah 59, 19, or Malachi 1, uh, 11, that God's name will be regarded as great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting, from east to west. That what the Old Testament Scriptures have been saying all along, Jesus was now... Um, ratifying but it's but he goes farther he goes farther and this is this is just stunning to me he says from the east and to the west they'll come and they will recline with the patriarchs the gentiles will not merely be tolerated in the kingdom Outsiders will not be second-class citizens in the kingdom. They will be as close as possible to the center of the action. They will be welcomed with those who are closest. There is no intimacy with God that they would be excluded from because they will be with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the center of the action. That's what Jesus wants to communicate. When he wants to communicate that, when he says from a distance, go home, your servant's better. And people like you, you're going to be right there in the action. Jesus, though, and this is characteristic too, tells us that the people you think should be in, those sons of the kingdom, will be tossed outside. 
that they won't be in. Just like he warned in his sermon just a few verses ago, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There will be some who will be excluded that think that they're good to go. Because they do not get the authority of Jesus. And so I have to ask you, do you get the authority of Jesus? Do you, how would your faith be different if you really believed that Jesus was among us and Jesus had all authority? You see, what, he, what he's doing when he's coming down from the mountain is moving through this suffering world as its suffering king with authority. Well, then he goes to uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and I, this, there, he doesn't say much about it, so I can't say much about it, right? He entered Peter's house, saw his mother-in-law sick with a fever, touched her hand, the fever left her, she rose and began serving. Just like that. And I'm thinking, he gets home. He gets to his destination. I mean, he's just preached the best sermon in the history of the world. Then he has to hike down to Peter's house, get interrupted by a leper, heal somebody from a distance from a stranger. And now he looks across, and there she is on the couch, like, you too, really? You probably would guess Jesus didn't respond that way, right? There isn't really much to say here except to pick up on one thing that I could have said earlier and didn't. And that is, you'll notice if you read the text slowly, Jesus touched her. Jesus touched her and the fever left. I say that because that's the second time We've seen that, isn't it? Jesus touched the leper, that leper who had not been touched since he was diagnosed. Jesus goes about fearlessly touching people who desperately need his touch. And it is, all, it is hard to overstate the tenderness and compassion of that. I mean, how many of us would just cry out to the Lord, won't you touch me? Won't you touch me? This also assures me again, for the third time really, that Jesus does not like distance. Here he's coming down and he touches the leper. And the centurion says, my servant's suffering. What does Jesus do? Jesus isn't the one that proposes healing from a distance. Jesus proposes, I'll come over. And now he's here with Peter's mother-in-law and he touches her. Jesus loves to be up close and personal. He doesn't, he doesn't move through the world keeping his distance. He moves through the suffering world as its suffering king, full of authority. And then Matthew summarizes this for us. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and cast out spirits with the word, healed all who were sick. This is to fulfill what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. I mean, so far Jesus has been healing diseases. 
And now we've got him, them bringing demon-possessed people to him. And he casts them out. Notice, though, that the theme is the same. The theme of authority. He cast out the spirits, verse 16, with a word. He didn't need some big exorcism ritual. He didn't need some magic spell, but just a word. As though it were the most simple, easy thing possible for Jesus to exercise his authority over the spiritual realm as well as the physical realm. Now, I have to say, I, I read this this week and just could not help but be struck by the beauty and the compassion and the kindness of, and the closeness of Jesus and was, was pretty excited about uh, getting to talk to you about it this morning. And then, though, I read verse 17, and that, that was too much for me, I have to say. Because verse 17, look what it says. It says, this was to fulfill. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This was to fulfill. Matthew says, I wrote you these three stories so that you would know that Jesus fulfills Isaiah 53, verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Matthew says, I want to make sure that you get this and that you link it up with Jesus. I want you, I want to make sure that you know the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 is Jesus. That he is the one who is the fulfillment of the entire law, but especially this glorious part where he takes our griefs and carries our sorrows. Matthew's explanation for why Jesus was able to move through the world in such a peaceful in a healing way is simply that he was the one who bore those sicknesses already. And so that's Matthew's explanation. Matthew's explanation for these healings is that Jesus is the one, the, this lamb of God who was smitten by God and then bore those sins already. Matthew is leaving for us breadcrumbs from here in chapter 8, leading us to the cross where Jesus will do what Isaiah 53 says, where He will then bear our sicknesses and infirmities and our sins. Matthew wants, to know, wants you to know that Jesus is not going to social distance from you. He doesn't want you to remain anonymous. Jesus 
has borne our griefs and sorrows. His pain, or excuse me, your pain is his pain. Your sickness, his sickness. It is because of what he was yet to bear on the cross that he can heal here. A leper, a servant, and a mother-in-law. Because he moves through the world, a suffering world, as its suffering king, full of authority. You just have to stop and put those three things together. Jesus touches a leper, offers to go to a Gentile's home, touches a sick woman. All of them were unclean. All of them were less than. All of them were outcasts. All of them were considered someone you shouldn't hang around with. And here Jesus is hanging around with them. Why? Why these three? Because as I, as I hinted at earlier, these three illustrate for us the sermon, don't they? These three, there is nobody more poor in spirit than a leper. There is no one who would be hungering and thirsting for righteousness more than a Gentile captain who gets it about Jesus. There's no one mourning more than a sick woman. I hope you don't miss this. What it means to have a suffering servant as your king. That in the middle of this pandemic, you don't need to be afraid because Jesus has borne your grief and your sorrow and your infirmities and your sickness. That same passage in Isaiah 53. And, that, and that's why Matthew says he fulfilled this because he wants us to reference what is here. In, in Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 7, or excuse me, 5 and 6, he says this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There hundreds of years earlier... Isaiah was telling us what Jesus would accomplish on the cross. And now we're shown this when he leaves the mountains and he call mountain and he calls those who are poor to spirit to himself. And I want you to recognize this morning that he's still doing the same thing. He's still inviting those who are poor in spirit to come. Those who are meek to come. Those who are mourning to come. Those who want to be hungry. Those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and long to be filled to come. He's not calling, though. He's not calling the big shots and the beautiful. The aloof and the disaffected are not going to come. Rather, he's calling the poor in the spirit, the mourning, the meek. And he's inviting us to be that 
and to come to Him and find Him to be our suffering King with the authority to end all suffering.